Hello and welcome to the podcast, The Lotus Eaters, for the 15th of September, 2023. I am joined by Shad Brooks. Hello, I'm Shad Brooks. I'm coming to you live from the podcast of The Lotus Eaters studio. As you can tell, I'm clearly a very professional man with this, <laughs> with this wonderful backdrop behind me right here. Uh, it looks great. And, and, and I'm just sitting here, I feel like I need to be a news anchor <laughs> type of person, even though that would be a step down from being a YouTuber. Yeah, it would, yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm glad you think so, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's um, yeah, genuine so, pleasure to be here, mate. No, thanks. No, it's, it, honestly, it's one of those things because you live in Australia. You think, ah, it's never going to happen. And so finally, yeah. it's so great to have you in the studio. Mate. It's also been watching your channel for years, you know. <coughs> like, you know, I've been enjoying your content. So I feel like I know you because I've seen all of your takes. Likewise, likewise. And, and we, we've, we've, of course, hung out online and everything yeah. like that. And so meeting in person, I mean, it, it's funny. Part of it is jarring because seeing someone you watch through a screen for so long in three dimensions is a bit like, yeah, exactly. uh, but then also at the same time, I have interacted, and it's just like meeting a mate and just yeah. chatting yeah. and hanging out. It's great. So anyway, today we're going to be talking about uh, the Roman Empire, as everyone should. In fact, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was just thinking about the Roman Empire. I don't know why, but um, <laughs> we'll get it, to was, it, it was right? on my mind. Uh, OnlyFans regret stories, which are <laughs> good. And how? Why are you not allowed to use the word homosexual anymore? Because that's far right. Um, right. So, Chad, Carl, how often would you say you think about the Roman Empire? Okay, okay. So, look, I need to be honest. I think about swords vastly more than the Roman Empire, but I think about swords a lot. Like, like a lot. Uh, and Rome is associated with swords. There are a yeah. few swords associated yeah. with Rome, yeah. And I would, I would probably say I probably think about Rome a bit more than a regular person because it's associated so strongly with the, my big passion in the medieval period, mm -hmm. castles, swords, yeah. all, all that stuff. Latin. Yeah, exactly. And there's so many holdovers from... Roman architecture to uh, Roman technology to language, everything that is all, all there. Um, but then just like Rome itself, I do think about it a lot. In fact, it was on my mind just, just before. I know it's, it, it sounds kind of weird to say, but like that turns out that's a lot of men's experience. And a lot of women are discovering that men think about Rome an awful lot. Now, for us, obviously, we do loads of history content on the website. So I assume that I would be a bit of an outlier there. Uh, this this is one of my favorites, which is just talking about Roman naval disasters in the First Punic War, because I'm sure you know, Rome had a lot of naval disasters in the First Punic War. And as you can see by the thumbnail, a lot of people died because of incompetence, right? Mm -hmm. As a man, I think, right, okay, what did the Romans do wrong? And what should I learn from that? I mean, I, God willing, I'm never, well, no, God willing, one day I will be leading a fleet against Carthage. But <laughs> until that happens, at least I should be prepared mentally, right? And so should you. Go and sign up and watch that. It's amazing, right? Because it turns out that a lot of women on TikTok are discovering that men think about Rome a lot and they this is mind-blowing to them. This reminds me of that meme where you see the, the girls like, I bet he's uh, cheating on me with other... And then the, the guy's yeah, yeah. like, I'll, you like swords? I like... Or oh, you like... Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. Like, like the, the, yeah, the guy's thinking, how would I have defeated Vercingetorix at Elysia? Yeah. You know? And it's, look, it's a very human experience to project your, yeah, yeah. your own experience onto others. Yeah. But one of the errors happens is when there are very distinct kind of differences between genders. That one gender, gender tends to project their experience onto someone else. Yes. And... Uh, and guys are not like girls, oddly enough, Carl. As, as shocking a statement that is in the modern day. Let's watch. Have you seen the TikTok where the woman says, did you know that most men think of the Roman Empire daily? And she asks her husband and he says, yes, I do. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, there is no way that my spouse thinks about the Roman Empire daily. <laughs> I asked my husband last night in jest, and do you know what this man said? He said, well, in some capacity, probably every day. 
Why? (laughs) (laughs) Let us know in the chat if you think about the Roman Empire every day. Because, I mean, I do. It's not conscious. Well, you know, like, there's so many tangential things just from yeah. language and yeah. uh, like sometimes like the odd word, oh, that's a Latin word or something yeah. like that. And uh, it's very easy to come back to Rome from yeah. whatever train of thought that you might be on. Yeah. And, and any, you know, if, you, if you're thinking, how would I do something? Well, the Romans probably have an example of how to do that thing as well. So there are just, like you said, there are so many ways that things can come back to, well, what happened in Rome that it just... It's not unusual, like that. If you have to be like, yeah, it, kind of, it is kind of every day, and this this trend just kept going. Let's just watch this other one. How often do you think about the Roman oh, I love Empire? It. You sound on this one, John. Um, maybe sound will come more often uh, lately. But you know what? This is reminding you. Uh, you can see from you can you can you can see from the subtitles that she's just like, well, do you think about Rome often? And he's like, well, more than usual, actually. <laughs> uh, well. Just, just the fact that there was lack of sound reminded me of Rome because they didn't have this technology in Rome. That is true, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, this like it went on, you know, on the internet, and people were just like, "Well, you know, you wouldn't get it." You know? <laughs> and and like got takes from Bo, for example. And next one's asked me, "What are you thinking about?" And I decided to answer honestly. I was I replied, "I was thinking about Trajan's remarkable string of victories in the East." <laughs> she didn't believe me at all. <laughs> when I insisted I was what I was thinking about, she got annoyed. <laughs> But this, that's the sort of thing Bo thinks about. Yeah. You know, because it's fascinating to think about. And then we've got a take from Josh, who, uh, you know, daily isn't still not enough, which is a great point. And he's got a great quote from Polybius. Uh, for those, uh, for who is so worthless or indolent as to not wish to know by what means and under what system of polity the Romans in less than 53 years have succeeded in subjugating nearly the whole inhabited world to their sole government, a thing unique in history? Good question. It is a good question. It's worth pondering. You might want to think about it. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, they, they were quite successful in a lot of areas. Exactly. How did they achieve their success? Yeah. You could, em- well, you might. There's some things you probably don't want to emulate about Rome, but it's good to know those things you don't want to emulate. So, and then it- things. No, no, you're absolutely right. Sorry, I was just queuing that up. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you're, you're, that, honestly, that's exactly right. Like everything you were going to do has probably been done in some capacity. And the Romans did a lot of stuff, and it's all really well documented. Why wouldn't you want to know? And it's just really fascinating to read about. But um, but one woman has a thesis about this because, of course, she stumbled into this. Okay, okay. I thought, I thought um, we'd watch another um, woman. Oh, okay. Um, just being. Absolutely- I, I can already see where this is going, Carl. And so I'm. I don't I'm know. Oh, maybe you know. Maybe, I'll, I, maybe I would like to be surprised. Right. We'll see. Just a quick question: Do you ever think about the Roman Empire? And he smirks, and without skipping a beat, he says, "I mean, not more than like once a week." Why? And I said, oh, you're playing with me right now, aren't you? You saw the meme, didn't you? He said, what, what meme are you talking about? I said, the meme, the Roman Empire meme, the husband meme. Are you playing with me right now? Or do you really think about the Roman Empire more than once a week? He goes, well, not not, not like that much more, like maybe once or twice, but not more than that. <laughs> what? Who are you? What? The, what? Said, what? What is there to think about? He said, what is there not to think about? And then for 20 minutes, this was my second mistake. I said, what do you specifically think about when you're thinking about the Roman Empire? I would like, I need to know specifics. Like, is there that much to think about, to think about it at least once a week? And he said, it's, it's everything to think about. It's everywhere you look. I said, no, I've never thought about it in my entire life. So I need to know, like, explain to me specifically what you're thinking about when you think about the Roman Empire. And he's laughing at this point because he's like, babe, 
you're you're the you're the confused one because like <laughs> yeah. I'm not like every time I'm watching a show. Let's say for example we're watching Succession together. I'm thinking about the Roman Empire. Anytime I'm watching one of my pasta shows that I really like, the authentic pasta that they're making, I'm thinking about the Roman Empire. Anytime I see a beautiful building which looks like it has great architect, I'm thinking about the Roman Empire. Whenever That's I'm me, thinking about control and men and all these weird things and feeling gratitude that like. People just can't march up to our house and behead me and take my wife. Like, I'm thinking about the... Yeah, but she she says, you know, feeling gratitude that, like, you know, barbarian can't just march up and steal my wife. (laughs) And she's just like, what? And it's like, but... Like, I don't know how to describe this. Like, this... if, If you're concerned about the future of your own civilization... It's what you have to think about. It's an important point to to consider. Yeah. And it's, I, I wouldn't have thought that this was a distinctly male trend to think about connections and links to the past in observations we have from food to architecture to language yeah. to customs. Because uh, the architecture thing is, th- I, I've been going through uh, uh, Britain looking at all these amazing castles. Whenever I see a rounded arch as opposed to a gothic arch, I'm thinking... R- Rome, right there. That's, yeah, yeah. that's uh, yeah. uh, a heritage of Roman technology, yeah. and uh, and uh, then of course there's neo uh, neo Roman and Romanesque styles, and yeah. everything that's appearing. And uh, and to me, it's natural to kind of think about the origin yeah. <laughs> of it. Yeah, and and like this guy being like, well, I've got a you know, I, I just think about the way our civilization is constituted and what upholds upholds it, what prevents it from collapsing, what prevents. What what enables it to continue on into the future and provide us with the good things that we enjoy, mm-hmm. like the fact that there aren't barbarians at the gates, she doesn't spend a second thinking about. It's like okay, well, that's because other men have thought about this. Oh well, yeah, like barbarians at the gate. That's a, oh, that's another one that you know I think yeah. about a lot. I, yeah, yeah. Well, right. What do you do when the barbarians come? Yeah, it's becoming a lot more of a prescient yes. <laughs> subject in modern day England, actually. And uh, yeah, no, exactly. But she she lives in a world that she just takes for granted is what she's saying. And what the husband is saying is I don't take this for granted actually. And so I, you know, I think about why things are as they are and how I can make, do my part to make sure they continue on into the future. And that means considering what happens if barbarians turn up, what happens if there's a disaster, what happens if this, you know, I need to be someone who is, has agency in this regard. And these women say, I've never spent a second thinking about this in my entire life. It's like, yeah, okay, you haven't. So look, I wonder if this, if this could be like uh, an accidentally biased sample size that the women, the type of women who don't think about Rome could also be the type of women that generally are more invested on posting comments and things online. Have you ever met a woman in your entire life that you think she thinks about Rome on a daily basis? Not directly. <laughs> Not directly. Exactly. No, you I mean, I, I, know, I know of like women online and other things. So there's yeah. clear examples, but... Yeah, yeah. Like the, you would only- t- take it from uh, your own sample of experience. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. I can't. I mean, I, I you know, I, I know lots of women. I, I've, I'm related to lots of women. I'm married a woman. And I would not say that any of them ever spend any time thinking about them. See, I could think of some guys that don't. But at the same time, I could also think of a heap of other guys that at minimum once a week would be kind of common, I would actually think. Like, oh, yeah. If a guy is interested in uh, any type of like action fantasy role-playing to yeah. video games, politics. to politics, to... Yeah. like There are so many things, again, where those connections yeah. can easily be seen. It just comes up. It's like, connected. There, there, there's the thought of Rome right there. You, you did it. You might not realize you, you did it. You can't help it, yeah. right? And anyway, this... this uh... <laughs> 
got an article right up in the Washington Post. <laughs> How often do men think about ancient Rome? Well, it turns out quite a lot. This thing has legs. It's just true. It like- does, actually. <laughs> but things, I think there's something actually really important underneath it, right? So they, they say this, right? One woman's video, uh, one woman's fiance said three times a day. There's so much to think about, which of course got an enlisted uh, stunned look into the camera from his wife. Uh, they built an entire world dominating society. Another man explained when asked by a bewildered looking woman to justify why he contemplates ancient Rome. So again, just these are not things that women think about. Not stereotypically, it appears. And look, this is confirming a lot of things that a lot of people have known for a good while, that men stereotypically have a stronger interest in politics and history. Things. And, and things. Yeah, it's the whole yeah. things stuff. Yeah. And so many things are a heritage. Oh, where, where would you guess, right? Yeah. There's connections there. But also, it's about who considers, considers themselves responsible for carrying this on into the future. Who is carrying this on their backs? Mm-hmm. And what we're being shown here is that it is the men who think of themselves as those people carrying this into the future, right? They have inherited this from the past. They're going to carry it into the future. And that means they have to think about it in the here and now. I mean, one, one man said, I was actually just having a conversation about the aqueducts and the fact that <laughs> they had concrete that could harden. How the hell did you know that? Answered another person who uh, said they think about Rome at least once a day. It's like, yeah, you just, you just think about things. How did, how did Romans set concrete underwater? I want to know. Good question, Carl. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. In fact, like the secret of Roman concrete has only recently been rediscovered. As well. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've watched some documentaries on it and more YouTube videos. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the specifics, but... No, I can't remember the specifics, but the yeah. point is... The, this is the sort of thing you think about as a man is just what comes up in your mind. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, concrete is used so often. And when you hear Rome had concrete, and you're like, yeah, tell, tell me yeah, exactly. more. Exactly. You yeah. want to know more, right? But anyway, they, they carry on in this, right? They say, but why? Sure, the Roman Empire boasted a dominion that stretched across the entire Mediterranean ba- basin and far beyond. Okay, well, that's your answer. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Why? Rome just had a world-spanning empire. Why do men think about that? I I don't know. It's so it's so funny that the answer seems so obvious <laughs> yeah. and intuitive to men when he was like, "Why?" We're like, "Why not?" You know. <laughs> what else are you thinking about? <laughs> what are you thinking of? Yeah, exactly. Like, but it's true that women stereotypically do think about different things. Me too. Um, in their in their own sphere and uh, things that they interact and, and stuff. Yeah. I I my wife. I would say that she easily, and oh, look, I think about my children a lot too, but she easily thinks sure. about not only our children, our household, yep. things related to it, everything easily daily, if not multiple, that's clearly multiple times a day, but also fun little, you know, homemaking kind of project. Like mm-hmm. our minds naturally gravitate towards different spheres, oddly yeah. enough. My wife has been taking up baking, which is utterly ruining my diet, um, <laughs> uh, but it's, it is delicious. It's a, that is a double-edged sword. I know. I, I, like, when I got married, I, I was a single, before, of course, single guy doing whatever. Suddenly, I'm married to this wonderful woman who can cook. Yeah. And you have, uh, like, suddenly limitless access, because it's being provided to you, of incredibly yeah. cooked meals. Well, I put on weight. I, 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 it's just <laughs> a natural result. I Couldn't mean, help it. it yeah. Look, it was one of those Nice problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's like carrying on this. It carries on. Well, the Roman Empire was a flourishing laboratory of works of art and engineering that continue to astound and operated under a political system that still forms the basis of many modern counterparts. Uh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's totally true. That's like like the guy said when his wife's like, "What? What's there not to think about? It's everywhere." Mm-hmm. But kind of is still everywhere. Actually, you know, we are living in the legacy of Rome. I'm I'm just wondering, like, what would be the female equivalent then of such something that's so intuitively obvious for women to think about daily or weekly that 
guys wouldn't guess. I, 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 this, I don't want to say anything for yeah, yeah, well, fear of being accused of being we, a male chauvinist pig. Yeah, well, that we would kind of need to be told by women that. Yeah, yeah, but right. I, I suspect it's probably a foreign concept to us as Rome is to, it's, to women. It's probably about household management. It could be, but I wonder if there is a, a more unifying origin or, or, or something that is leading to all these... Yeah. And I'm not saying Rome is the core identifying thought that all men have. It's just no, it just comes up a lot. Comes, like, and it's a natural, obviously, uh, manifestation of stereotypical male interests. And I like how defensive men are about it. It's just like, well, why, why wouldn't I? Why, why is this what's, weird? What's, what's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, let's go some more of this. This is just hilarious, right? The first thing that comes to mind is an image of the Roman legion. The Imperial Eagle and that sort of military aspect, along with gladiators, which has a long association with masculinity and power, says Hannah Cornwell, a historian of the ancient world of Birmingham University. Yeah, that all sounds really like the sort of thing I'd like to contemplate. I mean, th those aspects are usually the most more prominent parts of history that guys naturally gravitate towards, like wars, battles, yeah. weapons, masculinity, the, the yeah. whole I, I, uh Guys like action. triumphs, yeah, triumphs, fighting. Yeah, uh, th this shouldn't be a surprise. Glory. You can hear it in the back of your mind yes. already. The marching of legions, lads, <laughs> can't you? <laughs> I just want to defeat my enemies on the field. Yeah. Anyway, but so the uh, <laughs> she carries on. Since the 19th century, historians have tended to view ancient Rome through the prism of politics and warfare, as in as in part as a result of their reliance on elite masculine sources. Rome was a boys' project. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of uh, systems of armies and empires, you know, have, have a distinct, yep. um, uh, you could say, uh, male leadership. <laughs> yes, but yeah. the, the Romans did have something slightly unique about them, I think, uh, which we'll get to in a minute, actually. Okay. But anyway, so they, they hasten to add, historians insist that Rome itself isn't just guy stuff, as some men in videos called it. Ancient Rome was, of course, patriarchal and violent, says Lewis Webb. I'm listening. Okay, yes. Uh, <laughs> you've got my attention. Um, but it was also a diverse place. Oh, God, ancient Rome is diverse now. Uh, there were numerous forms of masculinity. Women could have agency and power, and there are multiple gender expressions and identities, as well as various sexualities. Did you know some of the Roman emperors were cross-dressers? Yeah, and they got executed. <laughs> <laughs> like... I want to hear what the numerous forms of masculinity. <laughs> I mean, could could they could they describe the numerous forms of masculinity? Uh, and when I say that, I would like to, I would think you know ones that are as equally representative of uh, you know masculinity in general, and see, yeah. see how prominent certain certain things were. Yeah, well, the, the, well, this is the thing, right? And and this honestly is why I'm particularly enjoying Julius Savola because he's got a way of framing civilizations, right? The theme, the sort of spirit of the civilization. And so there are some civilizations that are kind of lawless and bellicose and kind of earthy and unimpressive and gross. I get what you're saying, yeah. And the sort of thing that you wouldn't feel is respectable, actually. Right? I mean, it's interesting because I've heard like, you do a couple of new, uh, videos on like the um, early German Germanic tribes mm. and the contrast between them and Rome and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and and so you've got you've got these civilizations. I mean, like Persia, for example, right, is in many ways quite lecherous, right? There's the you know the, the flesh pots of the East is a long running trope throughout Western uh, history, yep. and it was always compared. And so Julius Savola would call those lunar civilizations. Mm -hmm. so they're, 
They're feminine civilizations where the feminine principle predominates throughout the civilization. Whereas in the West, we have Rome. And Rome is what he would characterize as the solar masculine principle, the upholding of order, of a kind of purity and a, a deeply conservative sort of order that was about, uh, it's rules-based and it's built on the masculine framework of self-denial and self-sacrifice and strength and honor and things like this. Mandatory military service. Exactly, right? All of these things have a different tone to them, which he calls masculine and solar, mm -hmm. compared to the sort of lunar and feminine. And I think, genuinely, there's a kind of longing in a lot of men's hearts to be a part of a project like that. Mm -hmm. I actually would like to be able to say, no, this is the good. I'm doing my part to uphold it, actually. And that's why I think Roman legions are so appealing to young men. Mm, it's interesting. We were just actually talking about this idea of uh, young men needing almost like a coming-of-age experience and yeah. stuff. And uh, military service is actually one of those it's definitely things. one of those things. Yeah. And because uh, and, uh, uh, especially if you're, uh, uh, you know, associating with other young men going through the same experience and then uh, having camaraderie and building yeah. up each other and stuff. And uh, it actually lays a pretty darn strong framework for the rest of their lives. Mm. And they end up being stronger men and therefore stronger citizens as a mm. result. Absolutely. And, uh, and so I thought if, we, if this is working yet, we'll go back to the, uh, the woman uh, just carrying on her train of thought. I don't know. So no, I don't think about the Roman Empire. I think about my own shit of problems and i'm just really confused why so many men are out there thinking about it so do it or don't but ask your husband hey babe do you think about the roman empire and then please report below in the comments if yours knows as much about rome as mine does because now it's going to be an it's going to be a river of facts which i don't know if you knew this but julius caesar he built a bridge over a really big river the size of four football fields he had like the most amazing <laughs> architects and engineers that did it it was incredible and she's totally right. Julius Caesar did build a bridge across the Rhine to go and teach the Germans a lesson mm -hmm. uh, because Ariovistus was giving him some stress. And so as a show of power, Julius Caesar, in, and it was in a really short space of time as well. This was why it was so impressive. Because of course, the Germanic tribes were like, oh, they can't come across the Rhine. It's a massive river. What now? And Julius Caesar's there the next day and they're like, what? You know? and, and this is why it's important. You know? <laughs> Just saying. Right. They despise you. What are you building today? Exactly. You come, come across a big problem. How do you solve it? But that's the thing. And so I posted, well, yeah, obviously I think about the Roman Empire every day. What else does it think about? Because really, I think this is kind of what men's job in society is. Essentially, how do we establish and maintain an eternal order? That's what the thesis is. Now, of course, you're never going to reach that peak of perfection, but Rome was at least an attempt at that. And that's kind of your job. It, like, it actually goes to a really fundamental subconscious instinct men have. Okay? Mm. Men being protectors and providers uh, want to do that to the best job possible. Mm. And so that encourages us to go out into the world and tame it yeah. and try and make it secure for our family. And it's the whole exward kind of facing um, uh, you know, mindset versus an inwards or internal facing mindset where people have identified this very masculine kind of stereotypical look, outlook and a feminine. And I found it really interesting that she said she thinks about what's going on in her life, her own issues and problems and things. But stereotypically, women have really focused on the inwards operations of households, of families, raising children, things like that. And they actually historically end up getting a lot of influence uh, and even power over these you know, society. Exactly. Where, and so women usually will look 
inwards in terms of trying to make the home the best place possible where men will usually look outwards and try and tame the world mm. and make that the best. And even if that requires building an empire. Well, I mean, honestly, it's probably best done by building an empire. But the, the you, I think you hit it exactly on the thing, right? So this men are focused on establishing order and maintaining the order. So we've got to know how things are done well. You know, how do we keep the barbarians from the gate? You know, how, how do we organize? How do we construct something strong that will last after ourselves? How do we impose law and order? And the Romans took it upon themselves to do all of these things in a particular way that we find admirable. Well, because of how damn effective it was. Exactly. And so how, thing, how these things are best done is important. And that's why men tend to think about the Roman Empire basically every day because <laughs> it just keeps coming up. You can see the instinctual connection. If men has have this natural instinct to go out and tame the world, bring order to it and everything like that, well, then they're going to see interesting parallels to how it was achieved in some of the most successful instances. And if you admire what they achieved, why wouldn't you try and emulate it? Anyway, so that's why, ladies. Anyway, let's go on. Shad, how do you feel about OnlyFans? You as a, a, a married Christian man. It's the fall of civilization, Carl. Well, it pretty much is, though. <laughs> I mean, it's not I mean, overstating it. Actually, uh, well, is it? Like, it is a sign of society's degradation. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Would Augustus have permitted OnlyFans? The answer is obviously no. If anyone uh, yeah, knows anything I mean, about Augustus. <laughs> There's a, you, you can look at so many points in history and ask that question. Well, like, would society have permitted something like this? And look, yeah, you'll find some instances, oh, yeah, yeah. but you also see where those societies end up going if they hmm. are going that far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, this is honestly, it's a genuine, it, I think it's one of the scourges of the internet because it's one thing saying, well, prostitution has always existed. So, yes, of course, prostitution has always existed. But the problem, the, 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 the limiting factor with prostitution is that you are, A, you are a woman, you are one woman, in a place and a time, and you can only really have one client at a time. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of limits the amount of prostitution you're actually able to do. And so the, the problem is kind of contained in its own physical shell. However, with the internet, when you abstract this... Scale ability. And scale it up, then you can essentially be a prostitute to millions of men. Yeah. This is a problem hitherto not experienced by the human race. No, and it's, it's a challenge. And this is also yeah. just pornography as well, in general. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because once upon a time, um, when it wasn't so easily accessible, guys do, shock horror, men are attracted to women. Guys they, did though. great things when it was difficult to see boobs. Yeah, unbelievably, yes. Yeah, I believe it. Like, yeah. like, 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 there's the old romantic, chivalric kind of ideal of the lady fair that yeah, the yeah. man would go off and perform grand, incredible feats to win her favor. Okay. The idea that you have to work to achieve this thing, this goal. Mm. And when it was limited, well, it obviously caught like, guys, if you really want to uh, see boobs, right? Yeah. Um, you're going to actually have to go out and do things to earn it, yep. of course, and the right way. Uh, and uh, that was actually one of the motivating factors. You yep. take that away, um, and humans have a, a, a it's an unfortunate inclination towards laziness. Yeah, so just make a, it really easy for mm-hmm. them to see boobs. Yep. And they don't bother doing great things anymore. It's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is why feminists won't talk about OnlyFans, which is, uh, also, the topic of Thomas Dowling's amazing deep think on the subject, because really, 
you'd think that feminists would have a lot to say about OnlyFans. You would actually. actually. You would be like, hang on, isn't this the commodification of women's bodies to the male gaze over a mass market phenomenon? This this seems like it's actually a kind of way of dehumanizing and just commodifying women. Yeah. But the, in, oh, sorry, but in the a way that would be unacceptable to them. Exactly. But the problem is, is women being free, sexual liberation. Ah, and being, the, uh, they're yeah, on the uh, horns of a dilemma. Exactly. Women that, are free to commodify themselves yes. and just sell themselves as sex objects to men who don't respect them but have five pounds. You know? yeah. <laughs> and so there is a distinct contradiction in yes. the narrative that they've pushed for so long that it is completely... So I could absolutely see it would be so embarrassing if they actually tried to talk about this openly and honestly. What can they do? Yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, oh, so what you're saying is th certain things you've pushed for, like, with incredible insistence in the, in the past to sometimes unhi unhinged insistence mm. has some really terrible outcomes. Let's have a look at some of this terrible, out out terrible outcomes, shall we? So this is a Business Insider and one woman's experience. I regret doing OnlyFans when I turned 18. People treated me like an object and the money just wasn't worth the degradation. Again, feminists, are we, are we hearing anything? Young woman treated like an object, degraded crickets absolute crickets from feminists, right? So this woman says, when I turned 18, I did something that I thought would help me feel empowered as a woman, but instead it left me traumatized. I joined OnlyFans. I spent three years as an OnlyFans creator, but looking back, those were the most miserable years of my life. At the time, joining OnlyFans felt like a natural progression. I was already posting bikini pictures on Instagram, so I didn't really feel like there was a big difference between posting photos there and posting them on OnlyFans. And to be fair, it's not a great leap, is it? You know, I was at, I, that was the thought I had in my head. I was like, because honestly, this is the thing that people might not realize is that even wearing a bikini is actually exposing a lot of yourself online. Um, and it can be highly sexualized. In actual fact, um, uh, I don't consider pornography necessarily nudity. I consider it images that are designed for sexual Sexual arousal. content. Exactly. And they do not need to show, got quote unquote nudity to be pornographic. And everyone knows this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, they don't, a lot of people don't like to admit it. That was, oh, know you know, like, like I can post uh, images of my bikini body online and that's not me doing anything over the line. I was like. Sure. But then everyone knows that Netflix's cuties was way past the line. Yeah. Uh, unbelievably. Well. Well, None I, of them were nude, but everyone knew it was lewd and disgusting. Ex well, th there are people that defend it, Carl. And, yeah, yeah, but those people... They out themselves. As, I was going to say they should out themselves yeah. so we can know to avoid them. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but, you know, I think you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right on that. Um, so she carries on saying, I saw other creators talking about how being an OnlyFans creator was empowering and a way to be in charge of your own life. And all that sounded good to me, but the reality of what actually happened was nothing like that. During my time as an OnlyFans creator, I was more depressed and anxious than I've ever been before. I was making really good money, on average $20,000 a month, but I felt like, like my subscribers were constantly pushing my boundaries. And this is the thing. Like, yeah, that is a lot of money, right? 20 grand a month for a person just receiving their bank. They're like, oh my God, that's not going to come without a cost. Yeah. Like, there is a price for that kind of money. Very steep price. And this is what she's getting at in this whole thing, right? But like... <sighs> She's going to probably go into some of the realization of what she's ruined by doing this choice. But even then, I'm not sure the true magnitude of the damage that she's caused by that decision is probably going to have, have on her life. I mean, there is something so beautiful and wholesome about an intimate relationship with someone you love that is kept private to, to those, those two people, right? And uh, men have a natural instinct to want that. Hence, there is a natural avoidance with, well, they women with high body counts oh, and yeah. things like that because that type of connection and intimacy feels like it's been uh, 
invaded upon. I, I, or maybe even not possible. Yes, e- even that, even that. And so that's going to make it so hard for women in this in yeah. her position to try and have that, let alone so many other problems. That's on the internet forever. Yeah. I mean, and you're not going to look the way you do forever, by the way. Yeah. And if you do have kids and a, like- th- They're going to see it. <laughs> you have created a legacy, yeah. okay? And these women are not thinking about what type of legacy they want. No. They're just thinking about the here and now, the immediate gratification, the money. It's 20 grand a month. Though, I mean, man. I mean, you know. And uh, when women start to come to realization of that, yeah, it hits them hard. And then there's a deeper part that they, if they realize what's, what, what potential that they have robbed themselves of, mm. that's a very hard thing to confront. And by the way, I think that's why a lot of OnlyFans girls are so deeply in denial about I'm empowered. This is great. You should try it too. Because they, if they admit it, that, that can be very confronting. So let's try and avoid that as possible. And no, I'm, I'm doubling down. This decision is great. I'm empowered. And then misery loves company. And I mean, listen to this, right? She says, no matter what I posted, they wanted more explicit content. What a surprise. Look at the kind of people you have solicited mm-hmm. for your online career, right? I ended up sending nude photos a few times, even though I didn't want to, because I felt so pressured and they were offering so much money. I would also receive terrible messages that were so degrading, and, then, and I didn't see any filtering systems on OnlyFans to block them. Mm. Surprised there's no block function on OnlyFans. Um, it was obvious that they saw me as an object for their pleasure and not as a person. It was awful being constantly sexualized to such a dehumanizing level. What did she expect? Exactly. What did you expect? Well, like, like, they were seeing you as an object. What do you think of them? You're literally a service. (laughs) This is what a prostitute is. But that would be a question I would put. What were you expecting out of that? Were you thinking that they would see the person behind the boobs? Like, uh... Yep. And she says, uh, for all the money I was bringing in, I was spending it just as quickly. I spent money to mask my depression and anxiety. I got used to a luxurious lifestyle. Would I go on fancy trips to beautiful locations to shoot content in a new setting? Each time I'd think maybe this will be the trip I'm happy on, but it was never true. I was always miserable. And she carries on like she felt she thinks OnlyFans felt like a path to self-sufficiently and for a t- sufficiency. And for a time it was. The money was good, it changed her life, but she started isolating herself because she was depressed and lost the closeness that she had with her family. Her friendship started to suffer, and then her whole life revolved around creating content and talking to my subscribers. I spent at least two hours a day messaging subscribers and took a few hours to shoot and edit the content. It was a full-time job. And she says she has no idea what she was getting into. She was young and naive and didn't see the big deal of posting sexy pictures. And then once she'd done it, there was no reason to stop since it was already there and she could just continue. But she says, I felt terrible. All the attention I was getting was creepy and making me sick. So subscribers kept asking for more and more. And I found myself stepping past my own boundaries and it left me feeling suicidal. I was close to ending my life, to be honest. I couldn't live with myself and I felt like I was constantly on the edge of a mental breakdown. My life was spiraling and I needed help. And then she found Jesus, actually. <laughs> Not even joking. I'm that's glad she ends that, that, that that's a, well, a good answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. That's literally, she says, you know, I found my way back to Jesus at the end of it, which is great. But why did she end up in that spiral in the first place? Yes. And uh, that's a societal issue. That's about the narratives and the standards that people are upholding and pushing. OnlyFans have a response on this. Oh, okay. An OnlyFans spokeswoman, interesting, sent the following statement to Insider. OnlyFans is designed to empower creators to connect with their fans in a safe environment behind a secure paywall. Creators maintain ownership of all their content, and if creators choose to leave the platform, they can close all their accounts and delete all their content at any time. In addition, creators have the power to block or report users who behave inappropriately, and we take additional action where necessary. Oh, that's great. 
there's a, a word there that perhaps I'd like to unpack a bit. She says empower. Yeah. Empower. I find that very intriguing because- I find it sinister. Yes. Yes, I do. Because it's ultimately achieving the opposite. Um, there is a type of uh, empowerment women inherently have. Mm. And it's honestly being the gatekeepers of relationships. Yeah. Okay. Sex. Yeah, it is. It's sex. Okay. The, the natural result of if you have one group that wants something more than another group and <laughs> and and they they make that clear to you all day every day. Exactly. Right. And the other group that has a, a lesser drive to yeah. offer that suddenly are going to be the gatekeepers of yeah. that commodity. It's, it's just a natural byproduct yeah. of, of how it I, works. I'm a gatekeeper of washing the dishes in my household. My wife really wants those dishes washed, but man, I don't care. I don't care. I'm just not interested. And so, uh, I I have the upper hand here. <laughs> that's that's like it's I such a simple thing. But it's true though. Women have an incredible power in that if they restrict mm. access to it. And and this this is why it's like yes, it's the the, the stereotypical feminine purity kind of thing, right? Is not something that is uh, old, antiquated, and blocks people. No, no, no. If they understand that, they can use it in a very significant way to basically find a great man. And you know what, right? I, I would not normally cite Andrew Tate on this subject, <laughs> right? but he tweeted out something the other day that I think was actually really good. It was something along the lines of, women are born with magic, and they have this magic in them, and every time they sleep with a man, they give some of the magic away. And if they sleep with enough men, then eventually they've lost all their magic and they can't get it back. And if a man collects enough magic from each of these women, like Andrew Tate obviously has, then he becomes a kind of status symbol in and of himself just because of what he's achieved. And okay, it's a, an interesting way of framing it, but honestly, I think there's a kind of truth to it. Yeah, I, I would say a broken clock could be right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah right. I'm, um, I'm not... Because yeah. there's something that's related to this that is a talking point he's shared as well about... Um, Women are born with value and men are born without value. And yeah. I, I actually don't think that's entirely correct because men do have value, but it's a different type of Men have potential value. value. Yeah, but they also, even from a very young age, they have strength sure. and, and ability to protect and provide. And that is an incredible inherent value that they can offer mm -hmm. and that suddenly you're seeing both sides offering something that's inherent to their natures. But, but these things have to be worked on for men. It does. It does. A man who's incompetent can't, <laughs> you know whatever make a weapon or whatever you know he's actually just potential value at that point, mm -hmm. you know but women i, I get what you're intrinsically saying intrinsically have that value. well you know it, it will manifest you know when they come to maturity and yeah, you yeah. would you would well, hope, i say women you know. well yeah women but if boys are raised right that's going to manifest naturally yeah, yeah. as well yeah. um but coming back to the whole relationship and gatekeeping of, of sex thing right if women actually understand the power that that is, but by, by actually controlling who has access to it in the way that they understand, you know, to, to get a relationship, that's empowering. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, you have vastly more power. Like, I've, I've so, heard so many, like, exchanges between OnlyFans, people trying to, and one was hilarious and funny where um, it was just a message exchange, um, something along the lines of, I have an OnlyFans, and the guy says, Okay, he basically dumps us. Like, why did you dump me? And his response was, "Well, why am I going to go out with you if I can get what I want for two bucks or something like that?" I, Which I, is literally what her grandmother could have told her. Yeah, no one yeah. buys the milk and they get the buys the cow and they get the milk. For they, free. they give it away for free. Yeah, yeah, okay. And look, the guy was obviously a shallow, you know. Sure, but, but, like, but there's an underlining truth there yeah. that 
you might people women you know might want to pay attention to and if they if they actually understand the power that they have if they control access to something that is very intimate all right very at, valuable at, at very valuable because then if you actually if they say i'm only going to allow any man to come close to having access to something so intimate uh, if it's someone worthy, okay? And the men will become And worthy. men will become, like, yeah. you know, especially if it's more, it would be less so now because society has flipped on its head. But back, you know, in a more traditional way, men naturally understood that if you want to attract a good woman, you need to become a good man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's have a look at this one. So this is just one I found on Reddit. Um, I'm in an amazing relationship with an amazing man with a, who I'm totally in love with. I'm blissfully happy. We have an honest, open and honest relationship with something I love, but I haven't been totally honest about my past, right? So she's posting this because she's afraid. Mm-hmm. She has actually found that thing that she really wants. She is in this, this bubble of magic and she realizes, wait a minute, this could all go horribly wrong tomorrow because, as she says, I made an OnlyFans account, which only lasted for one month prior to meeting him. It was nothing hardcore and my face wasn't in any of the photos. I also used a different name and have since deleted everything linking to it. Um, but I regret it happened. Uh, it's something I regret a lot. And to any girls considering any flans, please stop and think about how it may impact your future. I have a nagging feeling that I should tell him. Part of me feels like I owe it to him because I want us to know everything about each other without secrets. But the other part is terrified it will be too much for him. The other part of me thinks that I don't need to tell him because it happened before we met in a time when I was a very different person to who I am now. Uh, I don't want to know everything about his past relationships, etc. So he doesn't need to know everything about mine. I think to some extent, all people have skeletons in the closet and I think that's okay. Uh, I guess I would like some advice. If I tell him, it will be game over. If I don't tell him and our lives are amazing, it will always be in the back of my mind. But not only that, like someone could tell him and because I've seen other stories where like, you know, this, this one woman yeah. had a particular tattoo on like, her thigh or something and someone sent her boyfriend a picture of her only flans and he recognized the tattoo relationship over. And that's what she's afraid of. Yeah, I mean, she needs to tell him, especially just for that, because if someone else does, if someone else does, it's be way worse. Exactly, so much. Because she she can at least soften the blow. She said, "Look, yes, I made a mistake three years before I met you. For a month, I opened no fans because I had a bunch of people in my ear telling me it was a good idea. I didn't do anything too bad, and I've deleted it. It's been gone for years. But I just really wanted you to know, and I'm just really sorry about it. And maybe he'll be like, I've made mistakes too. Yes, right." Maybe he can be mature about it. Maybe it's a weight off your shoulders and you can relax. But the point is, where she's saying that to any girls considering it, stop and think about how it'll impact your future because it will impact your future. Yes, it will. Like, and again, there are OnlyFans girls who are trying to, you know, because they get misery lives coming all the and they also say, I have a boyfriend and he's fine about it. Is Your boyfriend is a very low quality man who's yes. not worth the salt that he would be paid in the legions, okay? Good point. Good point. Because you're right. I like a man who would be okay with that. Yeah, he's not a man. No man that I would respect anyway. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so the third one that I want to go through is a woman, of course, joining OnlyFans has made me a fortune, but it's ruined my dating life. Who could have imagined? Shock horror, you know? <laughs> Prostitutes can't find boyfriend. More news at 10. Uh, <laughs> she says, though, I mean, and again, it's, it's such a gilded cage that is being offered to women here because I, I just can't, like, for you as a man, right, so assuming you didn't have a YouTube channel before you had that, right, and you work in normal jobs, right, what did you do before you had a YouTube channel? Okay, uh, gosh, I uh, data entry at yeah. uh, office, basically, uh, yeah. to summarize it as best I could. Yeah, and 
How much data do you think you'd have to enter to earn £17,000 a month? <laughs> It'd have much, quite a lot. Much right? more important data than I was dealing with. Exactly, right? Because she, she has gone from £600 a month to seventeen grand a month. And so it's like, God, that is like the easiest way to make an absolute fortune. Like that is such a staggering amount of money. There are people who make 17 grand a year. You know, like that is such an enormous amount of money. And I'm just thinking of when I was 25, when like this woman is, I, mean, I was getting probably 1,200 pounds a month doing crappy jobs. I, I remember when I first started getting two grand a month, I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, I'm, I'm doing really well. <laughs> and so like you can see how the, the streets are paved with gold on the way to join yeah. only fans, right? I mean, though, women who are making that type of money on OnlyFans are the vast, vast minority. I know, I know. Yeah, most of them are making pittance, and then they get all the ruination yeah. results on top of it. Yeah, I've, and I've seen loads of those. I've had my OnlyFans for a year, and I made you know, 700 pounds in the last month. It's like, well, I mean, that's better than nothing. But like, <laughs> still, like, I mean, there are way worse examples. And it's like, yeah, okay, so you've prostituted yourself for a very small amount of money. That's going to come back on you. But, um, but this, uh, this woman says, when it comes to dating, she struggles to make it work, with most men struggling to understand her life. It's very difficult for me to find a boyfriend. I don't date often, but if I go, I have to say everything directly so there are no misunderstandings in the future. But mostly they don't really understand me and our meetings don't last long. So she's made hundreds of thousands of pounds, mm -hmm. but she's lonely is what she's complaining about. She's literally not able to form a relationship with a man. Even though she's a tremendously attractive woman, like she should have no problem finding a man. You, you know, you would think that. And obviously, a lot of guys first are attracted to women by their appearance, yeah. right? Uh, but it's interesting how as soon as you start spending time with a woman, it's the interaction personality yeah. that becomes the main thing. I remember going through high school, there were some really, really cute girls, right? Mm -hmm. And learning, some of the, their personalities were just awful. And they became, like when I looked at them, I would feel repulsion oh, yeah. because of just how awful a person they were. Um, and so for a guy, I, you know, you see this and, you know, higher end um, uh, for a lot of guys. But what she probably doesn't realize that a lot of guys don't necessarily need the 10 out of 10 knockout. They, they, they're perfectly happy with uh, conventional beauty and stuff that can just validate them and have a good relationship. But also the, women have a phrase called giving me the ick. Interesting. And this is, you know, when a guy does something unmanly, right? Oh, okay. and and I haven't know, heard it before. Really? This is no, right. Okay. Well, this this is something that American women use. But like, you know, a man who doesn't drive his own car or something gives her the ick. She's just like, oh, I don't, I'm not attracted to that because she's looking for a manly man who acts in a manly way, right? Can I, can I just like, it's interesting. I as a going into the dating scene, yeah. I never realized I had the opposite, something that attracted a woman because it was a manly virtue and everything like that. Um. I, uh, in my early years when I was single and working full time, I went, I bought a house. That's amazing. I just, I, 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 and so when I met my wife though, I was unemployed looking for work. And so that was a bit of, but when it just, I just said casually, cause I was dealing with rent and things like that and that I had a house and she was really impressed. Like I was a young guy yeah, yeah. already owning a house and yeah. And in retrospect, I guess it does reveal a lot about a person. It does, yeah. Uh, and that I was, didn't own a house when I was young. Yeah, I could, yeah, that was an impressive thing that got her attention. Anyway, the, which is clearly the opposite of. You know, I had to rely on my good looks and charm. <laughs> I have those. Uh, but the, but this is the thing, right? Women have a phrase called "give me the egg" when they can't explain it, but it's just they find it gross, right? And they don't need to explain it because it's just like, uh, no, not interested. And this is the equivalent for men. 
when a man's like, oh, lots of men have seen you naked or had sex with you, it gives them the ick. Yeah, in a big way as well. Yeah. And I don't have a better way of describing it. You can be an insanely but, but, beautiful woman, but it's the ick. Let me encourage another giving you an ick for a guy. Like if you see a girl posing like that online, it says that she is narcissistic and she prioritizes vanity and she is putting value in her looks above other things. And it's the type and needs of, validation. Needs from val yes. Validation for, oh my yeah. gosh, that is such a red flag. Yeah. You like, like and avoid women right like there. this, yeah. like the plague. They don't need to be doing OnlyFans, by the way, but no, they're no, posting no. pictures like this. It can this. literally be pictures on Facebook with too yes. much cleavage. It's like, what are you doing? Okay. It tells you a yeah. lot about that individual just from that information. Uh, and so, yeah, so basically, ladies, why not listen to the other ladies who have been through OnlyFans, gone and made that mistake and said, look, I mean, you know, you're free to do it because, of course, we're not the Russian Federation. We haven't banned it yet. And uh, it's available to you. But are you sure that's wise? That's the question. Uh, right. So the third thing I thought we would talk about is the word homosexual. It is a word with a distinct meaning and understanding. Yes. So, so what could be so controversial about this word, Carl? Uh, it's far right to use the word homosexual. It says <laughs> one, one noted homosexual, uh, Owen Jones, actually. Uh, have you heard of Owen Jones? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard of Owen Jones. Yeah, yeah. he's insufferable. Yeah. He, he thinks if you say the word homosexual, that's a red flag. <laughs> is this like... Is this there, a trick? There is a common evolution of language where... Yeah. They, there was <laughs> phrases to identify um, individuals, whatever, right? Yeah. And uh, it seems like, no, no, there always needs to be a proper, more respectful term. And that then that term- and That term gets, is queer. Well, well right, well. <laughs> and then, but that term ends up getting used so much and becomes yeah. so casual yeah. that now it's disrespectful. Like- Kind of. Retard was introduced as the respectful way to refer to people with mental disabilities. Yes. But now it's like, oh, if you say that- Yes. It's it's so offensive. Is this yes. is this what's happening to homosexual? Uh, yeah, actually, that that's exactly what's happening to homosexual. Um, and this this uh, dovetails very nicely with a video I did called Thick Concepts because I think this is genuinely important about the understanding of how we use language, right? Because we ascribe the baggage to language that we want to have on it, and in the way that we use it, it picks up the baggage. It's exactly the same, right? So the the, the word retard was originally like a clinical term. Mm -hmm. But because of the way that it's used and the people to who it's described, everyone viewed it. They they added all of this negative baggage to it and say, "Well, I'm not. I don't want to be associated with that." You know what's frustrating about it? Because it was also a useful word in language. Sure. Because it never was uh, just focused in on people with mental disability. To be retarded in something was also to mean something that was either underdeveloped or restricted. Or something. Yeah, exactly. And so you could say, "Well, this behavior is clearly retarding society in our progression." So it's yeah. actually a useful yeah. word. Yeah. Um, uh, and <laughs> my, my being fat is retarding my sprinting speed. Yes, yes. I mean, it's literally doing. That. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not one of nature's sprinters. And uh, and as a result, Carl is definitionally retarded. Is yes. <laughs> in a way, yes. In a way, and that and that's the thing. But of course, the the language has a life of its own, depending on how we use it. Yes, and that's absolutely. what this podcast is about. And this this is one of the best ones I've done. I think it's really important. So anyway, the way I found this is just by uh, someone showing this to me. Now. Owen Jones has me blocked. So when he says someone who unironically describes gay people as homosexual is almost certainly homophobic. I know, right? That's a that's a great take. That's a, like, and I literally says, "What did Owen Jones mean by this?" Because I didn't know. 
I mean, this is the type of thing that really jumps out at me. That people are so desperate, <laughs> so desperate for there to be injustice in the world so that they can virtue signal and grandstand that they just end up making oppression. Like, clearly, oh, this is the type of thing where I get the impression for Owen Jones, there are not enough homophobic people in the world for him to oppose. Oh, that's definitely. So he has to shift the definition so he can class more people as homophobic so then he can then be more virtuous in opposing them. You it's- know what? Actually, I, I'm going to stand in defense of Owen Jones. Really? Yes. Oh. Uh, he, he is, in a way, kind of right, and I'll explain it okay. as we go on. Okay, there so go. I found this uh, through this uh, thread where some, uh, well, there, there are lots of gay people who don't think Owen Jones is a very good advocate or ambassador for their community, and uh, he points that out, uh, as you can see, and it went on to uh, Owen Jones saying that uh, even using the word female is uh, a red flag. <sighs> It's just like, this is literally that there's no level of purity I know, worthy enough. I, I love Dave here. I, I don't know who Dave is, but he's just like, you know, himself and his wingman moved on to being outraged by my use of the word female. It was so ridiculous. I thought they were winding me up. <laughs> and I mean, I don't blame him for thinking that because yeah. he's like, well, yeah, obviously in, in the right context, I'm happy to use homosexual or female. Why wouldn't I? What would be the problem? Like that's mental that that would be something you find uh, shocking. And, you know, John pointed out, well, look, I mean, they're literally synonyms. Yeah. <laughs> you would, you literally, you just call someone gay, a gay person is a homosexual man. Okay. A homosexual is someone who's attracted to the same sex, which is someone who's gay. I mean, it's just not very complicated. But Owen wrote a piece on this, and I found this interesting because actually, in a way, I think he's right. Oh, oh, oh this is. Yeah. Shocking stuff. Carl Benjamin defending a position. I'm, I'm intrigued. The broken clock. Right? Yes, yes. Chimes twice a day. Yes. And like I said, I don't normally tweet uh, quote Andrew Tate, but I think he was right. I don't normally support Owen Jones, but in this case, I think he's actually right. Um, so he he says that, you know, he said, unironically, calling gay people homosexual tend to be homophobes. Um, and so... He says, firstly, if any gay person thought about it for more than two seconds, being described by a straight person, unironically as a homosexual, would obviously jar. Consider, are you gay and are you a homosexual? Imagine a politician start talking about homosexuals on national television. Given that you can use gay people, opting for homosexuals is certainly a choice. Indeed, homosexual is a term rarely used in public discourse. And here he's not wrong, because it used to be that being gay had negative connotations. As in, go back a hundred years. Mm-hmm. I mean, assuming they even meant homosexuals, uh, but it, you know, say in the seventies or something, there would be the sort of strong Christian conservative moralizing with like, oh, being gay is bad. Well, I mean, it depends on the use of the word as well, because gay used to just mean happy. Sure, but literally it, in the it, intro for the Flintstones, it, we'll have a gay old time. Yeah. But as it moves into sort of like the seventies and eighties, where it means homosexual, yeah. it had negative connotations, and so it came with a lot of baggage. And so the word homosexual was actually sterilized clinical language. It was. It didn't come with all the baggage. Mm-hmm. And so in the 70s and 80s, gay people would say, no, I'm a homosexual because that wasn't the stigmatizing term gay or queer, even worse. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and he carries on. As the New York Times put it, uh, considering we follow the, the following phrases, homosexual community, homosexual activist, homosexual marriage, substitute the word gay in any of those cases and the terms suddenly become far less loaded so that the ring of disapproval and judgment evaporates. Yes, now, because there's been such a concerted effort to make gay a positive term in the pride parade. I guess only if you have that, I guess, exposure and stuff. Because to me, it's equivalent. I I, I don't see any more baggage to one or the other. But I guess if you are in the pride 
movement where yeah. gay is used far, far more. And it's constantly pro. Yeah. Right? It's but, constantly in favor of. Because to me, gay seems like it has more baggage at home. I, I, I'm still That's because I grew up in the 90s I know, right, and right? South Park made it funny. Yeah, right. homosexual is the more respectful terminology I, 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 in, in, your in world, my perception. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a foreign thing that is saying, no, 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 this is, this is different. It, and, the, and he's right. But and it's not the, the, the ring of disapproval that evaporates. It's the fact, that, I mean, it does, but it's given the ring of approval because of the way society is now. It's insanely socially liberal and permissive, right? And it's, so what they're complaining about is using homosexual isn't a stigmatizing phrase in and of itself. It just doesn't come with the pro agenda attached to it because gay or gay pride, gay flags, gay, this gay, that we're all gay. Everything's brilliant. And so that's, that's comes a lot with a lot of, um, favorable baggage that is, no, no, this is all a good thing. I, I guess if they've never used, cause there is another use of gay that, yeah. um, uh, is used in, in a different way, yeah, yeah. which is the, uh, in heterosexual males. Uh, exactly. Like for uh, shockingly enough, straight men don't, want to be identified as gay and therefore yeah. being identified as gay if you're straight is to is a negative or, or, like this shouldn't be shocking right? no no you're absolutely right all right right and so straight men okay and this has gone on for a long time we yeah. usually use gay yeah. as a type of tease or, or, yeah, or a pejorative or a, yeah a, a phrase that is identifying behavior that they think is unmanly yeah. and so you'll hear that some guy will do something and you hear like yeah. gay yeah. stuff yeah. I mean, and that's why when I hear that, I, I, I guess... Yeah. The, but, yeah. <laughs> but Owen Jones and I suppose the New York Times, whenever they hear the word gay, they think flowers, rainbows, sunshine, and good things, right? And so to them, it comes with a ring of approval around it. Mm. And so if you use homosexual, you are deliberately denying them that innate approval that they perceive to be loaded onto the word gay. And they would say, well, why aren't you using the word gay? What, why, why are you not empowering us with all of the good things we associate with the word gay. Why are you thinning out and neutralizing it using this clinical term homosexual? You know, a gay is a human being, a gay man. You know, we, we said animals are homosexual, right? I mean, like there are probably like technical uses of the word homosexual when it comes to machines and things like this, right? Maybe not homosexual, but like homo something, right? When it comes to ports or something, I don't know. Like, but there, there are there are non-human uses of the term homosexual, and so you don't apply a bunch of moral baggage to that. And but you do with the term gay because that's really only what we apply to other human beings, right? Or maybe other animals. And so it comes with a, this ring of approval, as the New York Times tells us. I mean, only from his perspective. Sure. And uh, but this is this is fine because this is okay, obviously. Okay. Totally subjective because we're talking it about is. language, yeah. right? Yeah. Language is only connected and supported by other language, mm -hmm. right? And so there's no objective, universal, you know, embedded in the the, the table standard. Oh well, yeah, I completely you know, so get it's, that. It's all it's all flexible, it's all malleable, and it's all connected to itself, right? But, so, but there is a collective understanding yeah. of words, yeah. and uh, I I usually subscribe uh, subscribe to the notion of. Uh, the, the collective understanding usually determines what the most common definition mm -hmm. of, of, of a which given is word is, totally, which is quite yeah. useful, actually. because It's totally real. Well, it? well, my direct point in comparison is in historical terms and terminology and also for swords, because mm -hmm. there's a, a problematic word for sword enthusiasts. Is it broadsword? It is broadsword. You got it exactly. How did I know, Chad? It's like I watched your videos. Oh, there you go. Yeah, what is a broadsword? What is a broadsword? Yeah. Where there is a historical definition and then there is an understanding in casual language that most yeah. people use. 
And I've kind of come to the, oh, I came to the realization a long time ago, you can't really fight against such a collective understanding of, because it's even, even if you want to reject it, if you want to be understood, whenever people refer to a broadsword, they have to caveat it with a Scottish basket hilted broadsword. So people just know what you're saying, yeah. which is an admission of defeat, basically, that broadsword's definition has changed because yeah. you can't just use broadsword by itself to refer to its historical actual you know, and to be fair, I think that's kind of the same with the word gay. Mm-hmm. You know, like you look at how it's used by corporations, by governments, by legislation, all this sort of stuff. You know, the word gay has taken on a positive aspect because of the gay rights movement and you know the LGBT movement. They've spent a lot of time, a lot of energy making this a good thing. Okay. And so now they're identifying how you're not using the word gay, therefore you're depriving us of the positive connotations of the word gay. Therefore, that's problematic and that's a red flag. Right, and it's not wrong that that is the case. I kind of, I, I, it, it's definitely happening. Because to me, the 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 whole kind of reframing of the uh, social baggage behind the term "gay" is coming from um, a mainstream media kind of progressive narrative that that's what they want. Where my perception of the word in common language by regular people is actually pretty much the same as it's always been, and it's actually still sure. more the uh, you know. Um, used in the negative, it, sure, but but it, it again, it feels like a more progressive um, stare. They're trying to say we want you to perceive and define this oh, way, yeah, the way yeah. that we want. Absolutely, mm-hmm. that, that's definitely their intent. Mm-hmm. But in their defense, they would say, "Well, hang on a second, that's you and your friends." But we've got the media, we've got the corporations, we've got the government, we've got all of the institutions of power in your country and around the world all praising the word gay like it's the best word that's ever been invented. So who really has the whip hand in this situation? I, I, I see what you're saying. And my, my, my knee-jerk reaction to whenever that happens is to always resist and say... because I'm, I'm resent, not saying you're yeah, wrong. Because I, re- I resent the uh, elites trying to redefine I language. Yeah. I agree. I completely agree. But I think you have to acknowledge there's a reality to this, that whenever a corporation or wherever, anything use the term gay is very rarely in the sort of term we would use the term gay when talking to our mates. Right? Yeah, yeah. They, they speak about it in a very uh, effervescent way. And I agree. That does seem to be the trend. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and they, they say, he says, this didn't used to be the case. Homosexual as well as heterosexual was first coined in the 19th century by Hungary, Hungarian, excuse me, journalist Karl Berk Benkert, himself likely gay. The term was widely used by gay people, especially gay rights campaigners in the 60s and 70s, take the campaign for homosexual equality. Slogans such as homosexual liberation were common. And this is, again, they, they use the morally neutral language, the clinical language, to bring in their, their particular conception. And then once that barrier had been pushed through and broken, then they flip to the, oh, now gay is good. right? So now you know, the ho- gay has a higher preferential treatment, uh, preferential value in the minds of the activists than homosexual, even though before they didn't call themselves gay because that had a negative connotation. So they used homosexual. So it was a stepping stone to normalize and advance a particular agenda, right? And this is why it's important. Uh, essentially, it's to sort of launder the concept into society, right? Yes. And th- this is what he says. He says, why did homosexual fall out of favor? Well, it had long, uh, strong clinical medicalized connotations, which is precisely what we're saying. Ah, okay. I see where this is going. Gay people were classified as sexual deviants, mm-hmm. a term which focused purely on sexual relations and therefore... Um, excluded romantic love and affection, and this only helped fuel the stigma. By the 20th century, the word had taken on a definition associated with the American Psychiatric Association's classification of same-sex attractions as a mental disorder, which didn't change until 1970, uh, 1973. And this is what you can see about 
what we were saying just now. He he says it. Well, I mean, there's this kind of moral leveling that has gone on through the word homosexual to get back to from gay being a stigma to being something positive, right? And that is actually why this is important and why I wanted to talk about it, because trying to demoralize terms that we already use, such as going from mother to birthing person or from father to caregiver or something like that, you can see that these are terms that have high approval and deep moral attachments. To reduce them to the clinical is just one step on the way to stigmatizing them. This is why this is a problem, because he is saying, we did this with gay. And now you don't use gay, therefore homosexual is a far-right you know, red flag. Well, it's going to be at the point where mother and father will be far-right red flags. I, That's look, what he's saying is happening. I, yes, but I feel there's such a vast difference in effect between the comparisons that you gave. Because mm-hmm. like, to me, I see a chasm of difference in meaning between mother and birthing person. Like, well, yeah. one, one word has such meaning. But I don't see that chasm between gay and homosexual. But they do. Do they? Well, he's saying, he's he's literally saying, he's written an article about it. He's dying on this hill. It looks ridiculous to us, Mm -hmm. but this is his life. This is his community. The New York Times write about this. You know, we might say, well, I don't think that's that big a deal. And they all say, well, you're wrong, but I don't think it's a big deal if we just call mothers birthing persons or bonus holes or whatever it is. (laughs) And obviously we'd be like, well, hang on a second. This is a massive deal, you know? Mm -hmm. And so whether we perceive that as being the same equivalent, doesn't really matter to them because they definitely do. And I think that this is exactly why they're trying to use clinical language in order to remove the moral connotations that mother and father have in order to replace them with just caregiver, mm-hmm. birthing parent or something like that, you know, just things like that. Right. And so that's why we're not allowed to use the word homosexual anymore because it is not endorsing enough. Uh, and he, he goes on to defend uh, he says, why, unless you're a gay person being heavily turning the cheek, would you want to use such an archaic and rare term? Uh, well, why would you want to use a clinical term for women, families, children, etc.? Why, why would you want to? Right? And he says, uh, a, subject, a subset of gay people objected to these points, despite the inarguable facts. The particular faction that has become radicalized against trans rights have quite farcically termed homophobic. Uh, they know that queer has been reclaimed and as most, why shouldn't we reclaim homosexual? He says, well, first of all, and this is his only point, he only makes this one point, so I don't know why he says first of all, um, <laughs> it must be emphasized just how fringe this group is in the LGBT community. Right? So he's saying the sort of anti-trans members of the LGBT community are fringe. It's like, yeah, but I'm coming from the, like, the vast majority of normal people who you are a tiny fringe of. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's so weird that you're going, yeah, look at this tiny fringe. I'm like, what are you saying there, tiny fringe? Like, why am I having a conversation with this tiny fringe person, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, he says literally that his only argument is, well, they don't represent most of the gay people, so why should they be allowed to use homosexual? It's like, you don't represent most normal people. Why should we listen to you at all? But, uh, but anyway, so we'll, we'll leave that there just so you know. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll read you his last uh, paragraph just because I think it's interesting. Right? He says, uh, a word is just a word. What matters is the meaning invested in it, and that can change. Any word can be reclaimed. The difference is queer was intended to be inclusive. Was it? To bring together all of those punished for defying the supposed rules attached to the male female uh, recorded on their birth certificate, whether gay, lesbian, bi, or trans, the use of homosexual is intended to exclude. What I and what I'd say is this: Please go wild, use it with wild abandon, because then the rest of the LGBT community will be able to immediately recognize you and avoid you like the plague, uh, which is often already the case anyway. Yeah, so very inclusive. I mean, 
I'm going to avoid people who use the word homosexual because you're anti-gay. Like, just the, <laughs> even that last thing seems to imply once again that yeah. it's his perspective where he sees this vast chasm between the um, baggage and meaning between that gay and homosexual. I, I, of course, I have you know I interact with gay people, okay, sure. and not, net, this is not even a concept that comes comes close to coming up about homosexual being a, a, an offensive. You know, way of describing and and it seems like a vastly more extreme kind of uh, perspective that he is trying to promote again to control language to find another thing to be offended about to be able to tell others that you know this is the way it should be done therefore i am one to look to as an authority oh, so it is all about control yes fundamentally about the, when when you try to artificially manipulate language like this yes it's about control and that's why i pointed that out, this out because I hate the reframing of father and mother. I hate it. Oh, same. It's, same. it's despicable. And this is what Owen is trying to get at with the use of the term homosexual. It's like, no, you call me a gay. Like I would say, no, you call me a father. You know, he's trying to imbue it with that kind of moral authority. And that's the problem. Reducing the moral authority of these terms is pernicious. It's dangerous. It's going to lead to consequences where we don't think it unnecessary. Oh, we don't think it unwise. To prevent fathers from seeing their own children in a, in a divorce court or something oh, like that. Right? There's a big one people have been trying to push a while in terms of uh, a vastly uh, more clinical term that is, uh, well, actually the original one was more clinical, but it's uh, replacing pedophile with MAP. Yeah, absolutely. Minor attracted person. Absolutely. Like, is, we don't need clinical terms for these things. They have stigma for a good reason. Yes. And also mother and father have... Um, Positive associations and connotations for a good reason. Yes, they are good things. Important positive <laughs> yeah. association. Uh, and yeah, to me, the, like, the uh, attack to try and replace such an important term, which has such historical importance for us as a human species, I, it is mm. so important that term. It's the bedrock of our lives. Yes. So to attack that is in and of itself very suspicious. Why would a person want to damage the relationship between a mother, father, and their children? Mm -hmm. Like, why would you want to thin this out, remove the moral depth of the concept in order to insert what, in order to change what, you know, that itself is very sus. And I just, I just find it very remarkable that Owen Jones actually arrived at that position just through the use of the word gay. <laughs> why would you want to call me a homosexual? <laughs> I'm a proud gay man. Oh, I'm sure you are. I mean, anyway, so yeah, don't, don't thin out language, actually. The richness of language is good. It helps us explain the world both descriptively and morally and that's good for everyone uh let's go do we have video comments today john right, okay that's great right so we got some comments on the website lots of people are very happy to see you here Shad. oh it is good to see you all george Pleasure. says the gallant champion shad joins the lotus eaters for a chat about history and hopefully castles he's one of my favorite people on the internet and i especially appreciate his really recent video expressing sympathy for young men not many will have the bravery to defend men these days well thank you and uh Carl and I actually have one of we the... We did record a... One of the... I think one of the best conversations I've ever had on the topic on that. It was very good. Yeah. Very, very good. And I don't want to I don't want to spoil it for anyone. Um, it, it was an excellent conversation. I think you really captured the feeling of being a father. Thank you. I think you really did. And he's going to be having a chat with Burba Castles after this podcast. So oh, no one is going to be disappointed, hopefully. Uh, John says, Shad is great, been a fan of Shadiversity for multiple years, and they discovered Night's Watch in the last year or so. I'm only able to keep rage watching through the wheel of trash, so I have context for his reviews, which are a million times more entertaining than the show itself. Keep up the great work, and if it comes to Essex, see Colchester, 
Heading, Headingham and Mount Fitchett Castles are happy buying the drink. What castles have you seen? Oh, mate, I've seen a, a good number. So we started in Wales. And yeah, so, there are loads in Wales. Yeah, yeah. I accidentally came across um, uh, Newport, but, and that was technically my first because I didn't mean it, but it was lovely to see then. Yeah. It was Chepstow, Carefilly, um, Castle Koch. Um, uh, we accidentally came across, but I love that. We, uh, um, Tritower, and then we all went all the way up. Um, uh, oh, there's one that I forget the name of. My wife has it all listed, but then we, we did another one. Then we went up to Carnarvon, of course, yeah. and we've been out to see uh, um, Warwick, uh, Port Chester, Dover, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, Corf, Castle Corf. Do you have a particular favorite? So my favorite might surprise people. So far, it's so it's spelled Koch, C-O-C-H, means red, red in Welsh, and it, mm-hmm. but it's pronounced like Koch. Like that, something like that. Um, that's actually my favorite. It, like I've not been there. So. Yeah, it, it's less known. It has uh, a more um, uh, um, uh, uneven kind of layout, mm-hmm. and it's on the smaller scale. And I tend to like smaller castles because they're more representative of what most castles are like. Mm-hmm. But the big grand ones are amazing. Like Carnarvon is just incredible. It's huge, but it's actually more atypical to what most castles are like. And I really love. There's something kind of. Um, cozy yeah, and personable yeah. about these small castles that were clearly for a family and uh, and and uh, of course their service and everything but and so i really like those and, and castle Cop- I, I like the really narrow steps right the you know, the winding narrow steps with the you, you just think this was someone's daily experience I know. going up and down these steps. and and they are narrow and they're always smooth the, the steps are always really smooth mm-hmm. because you can tell that you know for, for hundreds of years people have been walking up and down these bloody curved steps like, I always find that really charming. Well, well, Castle Koch does something that I want to do at, in Australia. It is actually close. It's not perfect, but it's a close representation of what a castle would look like in its heyday, mm. in, the, in the time it was built. It's been restored immaculately, and, on the, and people usually had perceived that it's the outside that is more ac- accurate, but the inside is more fantasy. Mm-hmm. Well, I went inside. And, okay, so it is... Uh, Medieval accurate in about 90%. There's like one or two rooms that, okay, yeah, this is more sure. fantasy. Um, but it is accurate to what some of the most immaculate medieval interiors would look like. Mm. So that's a little less, because not all you know, nobility had money to yeah. do their inside to that level, but it is still representative of what interior medieval um, rooms would look like with some exceptions on art styles here sure, and there. Sure. I'm, I'm doing a whole video on it, by the way. Right, <laughs> oh, I look I forward to it. Yeah, yeah. And... But if you really wanted the experience of what it would feel yeah. like in certain aspects of walking through a medieval castle in its prime, yeah. that's the best example I've seen. Really? And, it, and I love it. And if I could pick it up and take it home with me, <laughs> I would. And I want to rebuild something like that because my intent, if I ever get around to having the means to do it, yeah. I do want to build castles to make in such a way that you, they are, they're basically what they would have been like when they were built. Yeah, that would be great. Because oftentimes when people walk through castles now, they actually get incorrect ideas because of the age and the fact that they've been changed because of the time. A lot of them are just ruins at this point. Yeah, and then they've, or they've added bigger windows to make them more cozy and they've let the whitewash or, 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 mm-hmm. or interior wear away. And so people think castles are mostly bare stone on the yeah. inside. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting inaccuracies people get out of because the castles are so old. And rarely do we actually see castles depicted accurately to what they did look like in the medieval period, including film. And, and, and every time castles are depicted, they're usually always inaccurately done. Yeah. And so Castle Core is one of those rare ones where it's like, oh my gosh, it's actually 
pretty good oh, okay. points. Well, I'm yeah, glad you saw that. That's great. Mm -hmm. uh, Justin says, just great to see you. I've been watching you for years. Welcome to Britain. Enjoy your castle tour of our lands. Thank you, Justin. It's great. Uh, Dan says, Shad, that jacket is superb. Is it a custom fencing jacket? Can I get one? I need one. It's the best thing I've seen all week. So it's custom, <laughs> but it's not a fencing. Well, actually, they do sell. So the company is called Steel Mastery, mm -hmm. and it's custom in the sense that it has my um, logo on it. Well, logo, and I also consider this kind of like my my device, my nightly crest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, uh, but the actual cut and fit of the jacket is a standard one that you can find right. there. Yeah. Uh, Derek says, "Men are only thinking of one thing, and it's disgusting." Rome. <laughs> <laughs> Justin says, "Love their self-reporting here. Look at ancient Rome; it was progressive like us just before it collapsed." Yeah, that is another interesting thing, isn't it? You know, it didn't collapse when it was highly masculine. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> uh, and there's not to say everything is positive, right? like there. Rome, in a lot of ways, were quite a bunch of de de degenerates. and In some ways, yeah. yeah Especially and, at some periods. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but it's you can learn a lot from every aspect of it. Yeah. Basically. I mean, re Republican Rome was highly conservative mm -hmm. and like super, super disciplined about a lot of things. Really admirable, really. Um, but anyway, you can go watch Epochs to learn all about it. Uh, Kevin says, Chad is right about the camaraderie of military service. There are guys and girls I spent seven years in school with I haven't spoken to in 45 years. Meanwhile, there are guys I served with in the military for two years that we still meet up decades later and continue uh, as if we'd seen each other every day for each of those decades. Totally true. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Elbrist says, this is quite funny. I was just thinking, no, I don't reckon I think about ancient Rome weekly, although I probably do think about Anglo-Saxon England most days. Uh, I do as well. Uh, although I thought about it a bit longer and realized I actually probably do think about it quite regularly. <laughs> in fact, only the other day I was looking at maps and couldn't quite remember where Mauritania was. Uh, it's only now that you've pointed it out I really realized. Yeah, I know. Again, you don't really... I mean, I, I'm more aware of it because we're constantly reporting history content. Mm -hmm. And so I'm more aware of my thoughts on Rome. But it just is something a lot of guys are like, yeah, well, yeah, I do think about it. Like, you know, I watch documentaries. And, you know, it's, it's just something we do. Yeah. Uh, Sophie says, okay, that's wholesome. I love men. You guys are adorable. Go forth and think about the Roman Empire. Like, well, yeah, that's our job. <laughs> we will. Yeah. Uh, Lars says, what are women thinking about daily? Apparently, it's, what's he thinking about? <laughs> so by proxy, women are thinking about the Roman Empire. They just don't know it. Oh, very yes. Very, very interesting. Uh, Jeremy says, the dark-haired woman ended her clip after asking her husband about Rome by saying she never thinks about anything. No, no, she did say she thinks about something. Her, her own problems. Kind exactly, of. her own life. Mm -hmm. She's very focused on what is immediately with her, whereas her husband's thinking about something abstractly that happened thousands of years ago. Mm -hmm. So. And again, it's the inwards flowing perspective versus the outwards flowing perspective. It very much is. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, men are the builders of civilization and women the inhabitants of it. You know, they live in the civilization. So they, they need to worry about the immediate things that are going on. Mm -hmm. Men need to worry about the things that are coming up down the line and how we've arrived at the position that we're in. And, and both are such essential roles. Yeah, exactly. Like, a man will build a home and a woman can perfect it and, and make it. And, you know, and there's a meme about this. Oh, men, men are just happy to live with a box and a television and one seat. It's like, yeah. Yeah. No, we, we actually are. We need you to come in and sort this out. Yes. Like, I can't make my own home because I'm a man. <laughs> I'm a kind of disabled in that way. But I, you know, I'll go out and fight the beast in the back garden that you can't get rid of, though, the kill spider or whatever, <laughs> you know, because, you know, I'm thinking about ancient Rome. <laughs> <laughs> when we kill that spider, we're thinking like, yeah, you know. Roman legionary. Me, it's always night. I, I, but I, sure, yeah, same yeah, principle. Yeah, same principle. Yeah. Same principle. Uh, California refugee says all roads lead to Rome. It's not physically in, past, in the past, but with ideas as well. It's totally true. It's totally true. 
Uh, George says, I think men are attracted to the Roman Empire because it had a lot of meritocratic systems and it's distant enough in history to have its own mythology and mystique about it. Yeah, I think also it's, I think it's also the goal, right? Because I mean, the, the, like a lot of, a lot of um, people will also have the same sort of opinion of nightly crusading orders mm-hmm. where look, no, no, there's an, there is a way to do life here that we are trying to uphold through our own personal sacrifice. Yeah, uh, men do gravitate towards concepts, ideals, standards that they want to use. Uh, well, they want to instantiate. In yes, yeah, and, and like the whole idea of knighthood has always been really, really attractive to me, uh, and uh, and it is, uh, and just even as basic warrior codes yeah. and stuff, we see them propping up multiple times in multiple different you know uh, civilizations in the past because men do like having something to aspire to and fight for. It's literally meaning. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it's the sort of thing that genuinely gets them out of bed in the morning. Uh, Screwtape Blazer says, hell yes, I think about Rome daily. And thanks to my, thanks to prepping my wife, uh, my wife is forced to as well. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he also says, the Rome meme is an incredible self-report. It exposes the solipsism of modern Western women. And it's like, in a way, he's kind of right. You know, you're not, you're only thinking about yourselves. And, you know, all the men around you, they're like, yeah, well, of course, I'm thinking about the Roman Empire. And you're like, I don't understand this. Like, oh, God. There is truth to it. But there, there, there is a positive aspect to women thinking yeah, internally because what they'll usually then do is think about relationships, especially yep. their husband, their, their yep. partners, their children. Okay. And, yeah, yeah. and that's because they're thinking, and then they'll think of usually ways to improve. And Yeah. But then, then we get to the, question of political power and voting rights right it's like anyway moving on <laughs> that's another so that's a whole another subject we're to just saying if you get money from the government you don't you shouldn't be voting that's all i'm saying if you get money from the government you shouldn't be voting well uh, because it incentivizes them to just vote for exactly the why wouldn't you just vote for more money from mm. the government and the money and the government just spewing out money yeah that's my money that's not a good thing, the by money. the way. I, I, <laughs> spending money responsibly is something that exactly. the government should be taking very seriously. Uh, and used to in previous years. And, and throwing money at a problem doesn't make a solution. It needs to be done effectively. We've seen this in a lot of cases in Australia, actually. Oh, and here, man. I mean, one of the... <laughs> like the uh, NHS. Uh, well, I might be going off on a, on a tangent, yeah, but it's an important... Like, there is something that um, all of Australia kind of is struggling with, with uh, big disadvantaged communities in Australia... Mm-hmm. And some of the most disadvantaged communities are predominantly Aboriginal communities. And something that's happened in these communities is because the uh, Aboriginals that live on certain lands um, are getting paid regular money because of mining rights and access to the land. And so they're given basically money to live off. uh, And it's sometimes substantial amounts of money. And it just makes them dependents. This is the thing. The communities, and these are the Aboriginal communities, the individuals doing that, have given a name to this type of money and this wasn't anyone, this was internal. They call it sit-down money. And isn't, isn't that shocking and why, telling? Why are these communities not improving and progressing? Well, because you're just giving them exactly. free money and they don't need to. They find, they find no purpose because there's nothing to actually work why for. Why would you? I probably exactly. wouldn't either. And it, it traps these communities yeah. in just basically cycles then of alcohol and drug Drugs. abuse and and it's social abuse, yep. like familial abuse, and it never gets any better. And and this is the result of giving people money for, for free, yep. right? We've, like if every anyone wants a case study to see what the results of that can be, just look to some of these disadvantaged communities in Australia, 
And people should really think twice about things like universal income and, and oh yeah, I'm other, totally against UBI. Yep, yep, totally and, against it. and other other such similar practices and just throwing money and giving money to people. Yeah. And because there are social welfare programs, I'm fully on board with, by the way. But to the point where you're just giving money for, to people for free and that that type of welfare. Mm -hmm. That's not a solution. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing making sure that someone who's looking for a job isn't turfed out of their house. Yes, yes. But it's another thing for not have to, you know, this person five years later is still looking for a job, really. You know, it, it's complicating things. We'll go into it another time. Uh, Grant says, uh, we'll get them to undress for the price of a cheeseburger and call it liberation. The loudest feminists aren't silent on fans. They're the ones convincing naive women that OnlyFans will be empowering. Well, there is that. I mean, but they can never speak in a way that's... Uh, honest and critical about OnlyFans, obviously. Uh, Omar says, woman who treats herself like a product is shocked to find her customers treat her no better than she does herself. <laughs> Omar's comments are always brilliant. <laughs> he always gets right to the heart of it. Uh, the moral debt on the OnlyFans credit card can't be paid off. He's not wrong. Like, He's I, not wrong. There is such damaging consequences that, that this type of, um, I guess, career like it should be stigmatized in the extreme and yeah. warned against as like one of the worst things young women can do. And the, the, and the problem about them is that they're intangible. Like there's not something that's immediately in your face. It's not necessarily quantifiable, but like the woman said, look, I can't get a boyfriend. You know, I'm really scared that my boyfriend will find out I did OnlyFans before I met him and things like that. It's like, okay, now you're living in a state of fear or a state of loneliness or a state of depression because all men look at you as just a sex object. You know, you're not a person to anyone anymore. And it's like, I can't quantify that. There's no number that I can attach to this. But you can see a deep spiritual pain that some of these women are going through. It's like, okay, well, then that's the price you pay is you, literally your soul. So, you know, and I, as an atheist, I say this, you know, like I'm not, I'm just saying that that actually seems to be the price. Yes. You know, I, I'm not saying I have a way of interpreting it, but it's up to you, right? Um, that, so. And there's layers of issues with that. Yeah, well. yeah. Because, of course, the consumption of pornography causes mess. We've yeah. talked about just yeah. on some of it from a, a male's perspective. And this oh, just God, yeah. the problem. Just we, we've, gone, we've gone over it on, a, on the other thing. But basically, right, if you're a man using the internet and you see a woman with a low-cut top, just block her. Yeah. Do not, ever, she, do not ever give money to a woman on the internet. Just ever, under any circumstances. If you've got money and you want to use it to get a woman's uh, interaction with you, go to a bar and buy her a drink. Yes. Yes, it's literally that, that simple. Money can be used to pay for a yeah. date and do the chivalric kind of thing. No, even you don't even have to go that far. Yeah. If you just want the attention from a woman, right, and you don't want a prostitute, obviously, uh, just go to a bar and if you see a woman, she she might give you a little smile and say, "Can I buy you a drink?" It'll cost you a fiver or whatever, but then you would have sent fifty quid to some thought to go thanks anon and then carried on. Yes, and it's just like, look, get the drink. She's at least going to give you ten minutes of her time drinking the drink and talking to you, even if she's not interested in you. And, and if and she it's is, practice, yeah, as Chad was practice, saying in, in the conversation. Honestly, yes, the, the, it was a great conversation we had. But it's it's you need to practice your your ability to talk to women. And if it's a rejection, take that as a success because the goal of it is not to actually. It shouldn't be to hook up. Uh, the goal should be to, of course, talk to her and potentially find out if she's a worthy person to marry. But that's the long, no, no, the first goal is just the interaction. Yeah. And as soon as that interaction is One established, step at a yep. Time. And if it's rejection, that's a successful interaction that will be beneficial for you in what well, we talk about it uh, yeah, further in, the, yeah. in our discussion. Uh, the French OnlyFans says feminists do not go against OnlyFans because women doing OnlyFans are removing themselves from the dating pool. Women often give bad advice to other women or let them make obvious errors so they get better dating prospects. 
it's not just that. I, th- I think it's also a case of these women feel in some way dishonored or debauched themselves after what feminism has encouraged them to do. Like, so, you know, these women have got like 30 bodies by the time they're 24 and stuff like that. And they're just like, well, everyone should do this because then I don't feel like I've made exactly. a mistake. Misery loves company and it's yeah. validating. Like, if, if everyone's standard is my standard, suddenly what I'm doing is not reprehensible and not, not. Yes. Um, the letter M is from Mar- Marilinga. Says not homophobic, not enough homophobic people in the world for Owen Jones. You sure? A few, a few more arrived by the rubber duck dinghy today. Yes, the the I'm I'm sure you're aware of the Channel crossings, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the continual invasion of Britain in which about 800 people a day just get on a boat, sail to the country, and then are put up in a hotel. I showed you the hotel. Yeah, I've had an interesting observation coming over here, Carl, and how like it is shockingly like Britain just as a whole is shockingly urbanly dense. One of the most urbanly dense packed. I mean, you literally said it was full. It was well. That, that <laughs> my observation now is, you don't have room. <laughs> like, yeah. You don't have room for any more people. It's so packed. Where are they going? Yes, yes. they're going into hotels and we're paying for them. Now. It's unsustainable. Um, Neil says you can make any word a slur if you say it low enough. That's a good point. If you've got the right tone of voice, you can turn any. Well. There. Something that's really fascinating is actually learning what the um, standards of medieval swearing was. Oh, yeah. And it made so much more sense. Like, I think they would look at our use of language now and think we are absolutely bonkers. What's their sort of slurring? Well, we have synonymous words for, uh, you know, like cursing, mm-hmm. swearing, and profanity. Those are used synonymously. Those represented three distinct things, and they all have medieval origin. Mm-hmm. And so cursing was literally to bestow a curse upon someone. Yeah, yeah. And so this is why damn is still considered a, a borderline sometimes if it's worthy like it's literally damn, damn your hell to Exactly. Because to, to p- pronounce damnation Sorry. upon yeah. someone is holy crap. What did you just say? Like, like that is such a severe yeah. pronouncement. It was considered beyond the pale. Mm-hmm. Um but of course, people did do it. But like that's the whole thing. It was socially uh, um, frowned upon, and uh, and people would then curse, you know. And so like, damn it, god damn it, all right. That is, excuse me, what did you say? Uh, you want his soul forever to burn yes, in the hellfire, yes. is what you're saying. And then you have swearing, which is to swear an oath. Yeah. And so and and usually you were to swear by something. Like I swear on God's yeah, yeah. name that you're an, you're on, an idiot. On the Jesus and yes. the cross. Um, but. The thing is, uh, someone how someone uh, um, I, I represented themselves, the, the, the standard of honesty was very important because the judicial system was based on people's bearing witness yeah. on, upon something. And so to swear something is uh, basically bearing witness in a very solemn way. Mm. And if you did it falsely, then that is serious business. It's, it's heresy as well as mm-hmm. anything else. Yeah, and so to swear an oath in vain, it, what, what, and then especially if you did it on something holy, um, uh, that is serious. So, Sacrilegious. So, so if I was to say, "Damn it, I swear you're a bloody idiot," or something like that, those are layers of, yeah, of yeah. combination. Because then you have um, uh, profanity, and that is being profane, and that Literal, is take, yeah. yeah, that is actually taking uh, the use of something that is sacred or holy mm. and speaking of it lightly or disrespectfully, mm. and and so that's of course taking the lord's name in vain the name of god um the name of the saints um a holy place holy location so so many things and you could be profane in, in action as well if mm. um desecrated a, a holy object or church or something a like bible. that bible yeah yeah exactly um 
And so those are the three different sins. But what I find interesting, they all each have um, a logical kind of outcome. And by the way, like, you know, the whole bearing witness thing, calling someone like a thief or a whore was hugely offensive because that had legal weight back then. If It's an accusation yeah. and, and the legal system was founded on people bearing witness and witness testimony yeah. and stuff. And so suddenly you call someone a thief yeah. or you're a whore. That, that's like, if it's false, that those are fighting words. Mm. Um, what I find so- Well, these are life-ruining allegations. They, they really are. What I find hilarious now, we have words that are literal kind of uh, distinct definitions mm. that are only deemed offensive by social conditioning. Mm. And where one group, it's perfectly fine to use a certain word, and then another group, it is completely against you know, like common decency in the pale. And the perfect example is actually the N-word, okay? Where the way that the N-word is actually used, like from a medieval perspective, they'd be like, well, why is it actually offensive? Because yeah, no one would care. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, it's not religious. Yeah, same with like the F-word and the S-word <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. These are just words that we say, that they're descriptions, yeah. and we are conditioned that they're offensive. That they're vulgar. Exactly. Where the medieval standard of swearing, that they were impolite based on actual reason yeah. and they would like so it's interesting like the c c c next tuesday word right that's a medieval word that more common people used mm. um little crass but it, it was used oh, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it wasn't sacrilegious yes right? it didn't yes. have it didn't have because that's the thing all, all the things you're saying there, these are all religious connotations these are mm -hmm. all religious frameworks i swear to do this i damn you mm -hmm. you are profane yes and that's man we're gonna have to stop because <laughs> podcasts go way over time but the, Really fascinating, fascinating stuff. stuff. Yeah, I, I find this really uh, interesting. Yeah, they just think so totally different to the way we think. We really do. But anyway, Chad, where can people find you? So, uh, if you're interested in these types of discussions and perspective, it's Night's Watch, where I get to really indulge and talk about. Well, it's mainly pop culture review and criticism, but I'm actually starting to talk about other things that I find more serious, like the plight of young men. And I want to do more of that because I think it's very important. Well, honestly, I think you should because yeah. there's a lot of pop culture criticism. There, there, there really but there's is. Not much of this kind of really thoughtful stuff yeah and i'm still going to do it the pop culture sure, stuff but yeah. but one of the the takeaways to the video where i was addressing young men was the fact that people were saying i wish my dad said that this to me yeah. like if someone actually explained these these things to me and what struck me to me they were so basic and simple things but so many young guys and also young women by the way needed to hear it just were not aware of it mm. and so i want to talk more about that i will be talking more but there's also pushing back against the corruption of our culture. And I do that by looking at media and, and the things that are coming out. And uh, I have a fun time with it. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't pull back any punches, that's for sure. Yeah. And then, of course, if you like um, apolitical content, where it's just, let's look, if you like swords. If you like medieval, medieval history. Medieval, anything. Like Shadowversity is there. And I, I keep Shadowversity apolitical because I want it to be welcoming. I want anyone, it doesn't, you are welcome there. And of course, anyone's welcome to Night's Watch. But of course, if you don't hold the same views, you're going to feel a little, you know. It's going to um, be challenging. Yes, exactly. It will challenge you. But you're not going to be challenged like that on Shadowversity because Shadowversity is, is there. Because once upon a time, common interests like that were the things that brought people together. Wait, does the Indiana Jones whip actually work? I haven't seen that one. There was sh like shocking, like in, in certain circumstances and uses, Vastly more than I predicted. Really? Okay. Yeah, like, like there's I, a use for it that is. You know, I felt the same about slings. But a few years ago, mm -hmm. before I started on YouTube, I, I was just unemployed one summer. And so I was like, right, I need to do something cheap. So I went and got some wool, crafted, handcrafted some slings, went down to a field, got some rocks, and just started throwing them. Like, oh, that, yeah. Unbelievable yeah. amounts of power. So like, you'd smash someone's skull open with these things. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but anyway, we'll, we'll leave it there. Um, 
So go go check out Chad, obviously, if you don't already, which I find unlikely you probably already do. Uh, Chad, man, it's been awesome having you on. It's Thanks been so a pleasure, Carl. Thank you. Genuinely, thank you. And so. uh, we'll see you all on Monday. Have a great weekend. Farewell. Thank you.